what's so interesting about that claim that the DNA was washed away, how many other cases are there where defendants have been told that their DNA no longer exists? And that's just not true. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporter every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Brought to you by Hackensack Meridian Health. Visit our partner site, nbcnewyork.com slash healthu, to help you on your health journey. Hackensack Meridian Health, life years ahead. So because of television shows, there's always seems to be a lot of interest in crime scene investigations and DNA testing. But ultimately, it's a lot more complex for police and prosecutors and defendants. But usually there's agreement that the science doesn't lie, except when there's not agreement on the science. I know that sounds complicated, but we're going to explain it to you now in a fascinating case covered by the I-Team's Sarah Wallace. I'm David Ushery, by the way. We're coming to you from our busy newsroom for this edition of the Debrief Podcast. And Sarah's here with us, a return engagement for her. Welcome back, Sarah. Thanks, David, nice uh, to be I know here. the first of many because you always work on these deep dive stories that really reveal a lot about the criminal justice system, about people who've lived uh, with enormous things hanging over their head, even when there's a specter of their innocence. So let's dig into this one, Michael Robinson. Robinson was convicted based on a single identification by an 89-year-old woman with questionable eyesight who lived at a home here in Bayside. Samuel. So let's take you back to 1993. That was a time when the homicide rate was off the charts in New York City. There was a murder, a vicious murder in Bayside, Queens, and the victim, there was a surviving victim in this case. A home health aide was murdered at the house of her employer. Immediately, police centered on Michael Robinson, who was the estranged husband of the dead victim. The employer, Alvina Marchand, survived and she identified Michael Robinson. So let's get back to this. This was a single eyewitness case and remind us that single eyewitness cases traditionally we now know have been unreliable. Right. But he was convicted based on her eyewitness testimony. What's really interesting about this case, and here's the first twist, she was also stabbed, Alvina Marchand was also stabbed and survived. But the jury acquitted him of stabbing her, but found him guilty of killing the victim, Gwendolyn Samuels. Go figure, right. that's the first twist. And the other thing I wanted to ask you in your reporting, you said there was no physical evidence linking Robinson at the crime scene. Is that correct at the time? There was no murder weapon recovered or admissible as evidence. There were no fingerprints. What happened was that police didn't initially take fingerprints. They centered on... Zeroed in. Michael Robinson. Okay. And her age, the age of the other victim, just to be clear? She was 89 years old. And she testified at the trial. What's interesting about that, going over the transcripts, she at first, when she was called up the witness stand to identify Michael Robinson, who was sitting in court, she first went to the jury box. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, 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 come over here. Right. And she didn't identify him right away. There were also questions that have been raised about the police lineup. Right. But that is not the issue right now. Right. The issue is that DNA has now come forward. And it suggests to the trillions that Michael Robinson's DNA was not under the victim's fingernail. 
The former correction officer gets emotional when he talks about his unceasing battle from inside prison with the support of his family on the outside. His mom and dad both died while Robinson was behind bars for 26 years. My parents, they fought for me every day. I didn't want to die in prison. For something I didn't do. He goes to prison. He is now in jail. His family continues to fight his mother and father, who subsequently die. Um, and he's sitting there. And now, fast forward, we come to a Freedom of Information request, right? 2013, Michael Robinson has lost appeal after appeal after appeal based on this eyewitness testimony that he has raised concerns about. And, in fact, there was some question about whether or not she was legally blind. He had gotten medical records that suggested, in fact, that she had 2400 vision in both eyes and a determination by a medical expert that she was legally blind. But that didn't hold up in court. That just didn't work. It's very tough to overturn single eyewitness testimonies when there has been someone who looks directly, supposedly, at the attacker. In 2013, Michael Robinson, desperate for something else to go with, had heard a lot about DNA overturning convictions. And he put in a last Freedom of Information request and got back an invoice, a voucher from the crime scene. And it listed that there, in fact, had been DNA vouchered. He started on this quest for DNA. Immediately, the Queens District Attorney's Office, as it usually does, and most district attorneys do it, mm -hmm. oppose DNA testing. Their argument that even if there were DNA, there wouldn't be a probability that the jury would overturn the verdict. So they always argue, pretty much traditionally, that it wouldn't have changed the verdict, even if there were DNA testing, and even if it's not the defendants. In this case, the appellate division said, mm, hold on, we think there would have, in fact, been a possible change in verdict if this DNA had been tested. Said to the court, who had said, okay, no, there shouldn't be DNA testing, maybe there should be. So the judge, Stephen Knopf, who had originally said, held up the DA's position, was now put in the dilemma of the higher court saying, yes, you should test it. They claim that the evidence had been destroyed by Superstorm Sandy. Legal aides Howard Ferguson says the DA's office came up with one excuse after another for saying the evidence was in the NYPD Erie Basin Warehouse in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and was washed away or contaminated. So here's another twist. Legal Aid, which got involved, the Legal Aid Society, started trying to find the DNA. Mm -hmm. And the original answer was... Well, it had been lost in Superstorm Sandy. It was in the Erie Basin NYPD warehouse with thousands of other DNA samples. And legal aid was told it was washed away. And what's so interesting about that claim that the DNA was washed away, how many other cases are there where defendants have been told that their DNA no longer exists? And that's just not true. The legal aid attorneys believe that all of those cases should be re-examined. So you can imagine the dejection for Robinson at that point. Right. But. It wasn't. So there were more hearings. There were hearings about all of this. And then it was, the argument was made, well, even if it were there, it would likely be contaminated and it would be too dangerous for an analyst to test. So they had to bring in more experts who said, no, that's not actually the case. And then, all of a sudden, legal aid 
was advised by the office of the medical examiner that the DNA was in fact in Manhattan at the office of the medical examiner where it had been all along. The entire time. It was tested by the office of the medical examiner and they basically said in technical terms, mm -hmm. it doesn't inculpate or exculpate Michael Robinson. In other words, it's inconclusive. It's not definitive that it is his or not his. And then Legal Aid went to another firm, Cyber, Cyber Genetics, very well known. It has been used in prosecutions. It has been used in defense cases. You said in four different jurisdictions in New York State. In New York State, very well known. And wouldn't you know that they came back with a conclusion that there was a 78 and a tr in a trillion chance that it was Michael Robinson's DNA under the victim's fingernail. That's the debate going on right now in a hearing that started on September 16th. Whose science do you believe, cyber genetics or the firm that the Office of the Medical Examiner used to determine whether or not it was conclusive or not? What accounts for that, sir? I know you've done a lot of stories on DNA. What accounts for two different firms coming to these kind of different conclusions? And this, this firm you mentioned, too, in addition to the jurisdictions, was involved in testing of 9-11 victims, I, I think that's the most significant thing here. So the city had used this firm. Right. On the one hand, now they're saying, well, we think we should rely on the Office of the Medical Examiner's findings, which were inconclusive. But the fact is, they used cyber genetics to identify World Trade Center victims in a contract that they got in 2005. So that's a dilemma for them. And what I've witnessed in the courtroom, and I was there for the initial hearing, they're not actually saying that cyber genetics is wrong. They're just saying, we're standing by our test. So it is the battle of yeah. the DNA testing. And by the way, this is something that will be significant for the rest of the country because we all now think, and I think you do too, David, yeah. I did, that DNA science is just that. It's one science. Right. We all are going to agree on whether the science does or not That's exonerate somebody. And there is a debate about which science is more valid. And there has been some controversy in the past about a different kind of software tool or computer tool that the Office of the Medical Examiner used for some years and then went to a different technique. So the science is is you know is is up in the air right. in Where various I began, you think places. the science is the science, but now there's a debate there. Over which science? So Let's talk about that. So Michael Robinson ultimately is paroled after 26 years? He got paroled in March Earlier this year. of 2019. But he's not free in his mind or his heart. And that's the issue here, too. He's still fighting. He is not free, not only in his mind and his heart, but he is a convicted murderer as it stands by the law. So until he is exonerated, he is still technically convicted. And could affect him in job applications or life, what have you. Absolutely. And this is something that a lot of people are also going through. There are other cases where people are still fighting to clear their names when they have been paroled. But this is the first time I have seen where the science is being put to the test in court. And are you really saying that this testing, this testing that determined by the trillions that it wasn't his DNA, isn't valid and you're going by the test that was originally used by the Office of the Medical Examiner. One other thing I want to point out, you talk to the family of the victim, the, the murder victim, and they still hold firm 
that he's guilty. Michael is the killer. Michael is. Because my sister always told her, if we ever find her dead, Michael did it. I feel sorry for the loss. I'm not the one who committed the crime against their loved one. This DNA proves that. They do, and that is something that you can't get away from. The because she had made statements to that? Yes, and I think they believed what the prosecutors originally said, and they did know Michael Robinson. They have their personal feelings about him, and they do believe that he's guilty. So in their hearts, he is still guilty of murdering their loved one. That is something that you can't change, probably, a victim's family's mind, and unless they are going to believe ultimately the science or not. I, you know, I think it, it's probably they won't. I think they're going to still believe in their hearts that Michael Robinson is always guilty. We thought that it was very important that we have their perspective because yes. ultimately it is about a victim and somebody died and it's tragic I'm and we can't forget that. But again, just to review the numbers of the one firm there, a one in... 78 trillion, trillion that it was his DNA or, or that it was more likely that it was somebody else's. Somebody else's, right. So one out of 78 trillion, you can't even get your hand around that. No physical evidence other than the no physical evidence linking him to the crime scene. And I believe in your reporting uh, that he had passed a polygraph, which I know is not always admissible in court, but he had passed one. I think that is significant. He volunteered to take a polygraph test in prison and he passed. In every respect, he passed. You're right, not admissible in court, but certainly significant the context about this. So you'll watch it, the hearing plays out? The hearing's going to play out over the next several weeks. I think in these cases, as is typical, it will likely take months for the judge to make his decision. They will put in briefs about whether or not he should or shouldn't decide to exonerate him. He could vacate the conviction and they could decide to retry. That's their option. In this case, I think that that would be unlikely if he decides to do that because it's such an old case. Mm -hmm. And I think that they would recognize that a single eyewitness case, and that's what this really is without the DNA, is hard to prove. Just before you go, does the, there's a change here after a long time, decades now, in the Queens DA office. Judge Brown died. Richard Brown, and now you have a new person take over. Would that impact it potentially, you know? Would this prosecutor take a fresh look or no? Well, Melinda Katz, who was the likely successor right. to Richard to Brown, there's Correct. still an Correct. election, although she is certainly the front runner. Right. She has stated that, without talking about specifics of Michael Robinson's case, she has said that she would look at other cases like this where there are single eyewitnesses. Because as we know, those are the most unreliable cases. And now you probably can't convict on a single eyewitness. In those days, it was absolutely commonplace. That was just what was done all the time. So I think she would take a fresh look at it. That's probably separate from the judge's decision, but Queens is the only county that does not have a conviction review unit. That is problematic for any defendant who's trying to overturn their conviction. And that's where we're going to leave it. Some great reporting, Sarah, as always. Thank you. We look forward to your next visit. To Thanks. Brief. My pleasure. I want to thank our production team, Jesse Edwards and Ben Berkowitz. And we've added a new person to the team. We're adding Harrison Choi. So our team is expanding. We're excited, Sarah. Uh, I'm your host, David Ushry. We'll see you next time. Bye.